Thanks for downloading this podcast from The Rock of York. We hope it inspires you. If you have any questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. You can get in touch with us on Twitter, at The Rock of York, or search for The Rock of York on Facebook. And of course, there's the website at www.rockofyork.co.uk. But you probably already knew that. Here's something you might not know. Um, Anth asked me to uh, carry on, which I wasn't too happy about. We've had quite a few weeks of uh, a lot of research and talking and um, what we were doing um, this last Wednesday night in, you know, answering some questions based on last week, last Wednesday. And so actually there's just been so much going on in, in my head. But um, I worry a little bit because I know that... Um, some find it a little bit difficult what's going on. It was lovely. Is Liz, is Liz here? I'm sure I saw her earlier. Okay, Liz, hi. I know you're out in the foyer. I'm talking about you, but it's all very nice, sweetie. All right. So I want to give her a compliment. She was lovely. On, on Wednesday night, she went to Anth and she said, you know, she says, basically, you're a, a Luther of our generation. Very complimentary, that. Thank you, Liz. That was lovely. And I also want to thank, you know, some of the, the people who have been with us for a long time. I don't want to say sort of how long. It gives away age because I'm getting up there now. Heck, you know, Anth's in his 60th year and all that. And, but what I wanted to say is thank you for hanging with us. Thank you for going the journey. Thank you for being willing to battle and struggle with some of this stuff that we've been talking about because... I really do believe that what we are looking for in this house is a Christianity worth having. And I know that's how, how can there be a Christianity that's not worth having? Forgive me if that's offensive to you. I, I really don't want that to be the case. But I think that we are uh, working towards a, a Christianity that's worth having. And I want to thank you guys for hanging with us because sometimes stripping off some of the stuff that we've uh, carried around for a very long time, and then you start asking why, and then you, you, you think, oh, yeah, I've got to get rid of that now, and it, oh, boy, it's hard. It is hard, and it's been hard for us too, but, but we're making that journey. Now, um, I thought, when she said that, I thought, well, is it a privilege, or is it terrifying? It's a bit of both, but when you watch the film of Martin Luther, and you saw potentially they were out to lynch him and burn him at the stake. Now, I'm glad that we're not in that type of time, you know, now. However, we are dealing with things that would, would have been as, um, what's the word? Controversial, thank you. Um, but we have joined this quest. And um, when we talk like this, some people say, well, you know, why does it matter? Well, did it matter? Let's just ask this question. Did it matter for the people who were absolutely racked by poverty and sickness in, in this, was it the 1600s or the 1500s, sorry, of Luther? Was it 1500s? Where they were being incredibly burdened by being told, unless you pay your little child who is sick, He's not going to have eternal life and he's going to basically suffer in hell forever. Was it worth dealing with that sort of horror? 
I say yes. Was it worth dealing with the fact that people were having to pay to, to stop their loved ones burning for too long? Absolutely yes. This is cruel. It's wicked. It's manipulative. It's horrible. And we could say, oh, why does it matter? Tell you what, it matters. And I believe we're in that day and age, similarly for us, that the same things are mattering again. It's a bit different, but it's still as important and it matters. Now, I'm not trying to make out our job to be something very special or whatever. I'm just saying we've been willing to take up the quest and I'm glad you're coming with us. Now, it's interesting. I mean, I'd, I'd like all of you to have a copy of this book. It's called A New Kind of Christianity by Brian McLaren. And uh, some of you have read it. We, we did a bit of a course with it. We were hoping to do another one, but stuff keeps happening and getting in the way, but we might just get round to it. But I just want to read something and, uh, that he says about this. He says, Every 500 years or so, the Christian faith holds a rummage sale or a jumble sale. It sorts through all that it has accumulated over recent centuries. What feels like extra baggage, it sends to the recycling centre. And what feels like essential travel gear, it preserves for future, thus opening a new chapter in Christian history. This kind of sorting process has occurred with, and it gives you three, three different things. It says that with the great collapse of the Roman Empire around 500 AD, some of you haven't a clue about what any of these means, but don't worry about it, I'm just telling you, is that all right? Um, the Great Schism around 1000 AD and the Great Reformation about 1500 AD, which of course we were talking about, that's when, where, where Luther was. Now, the interesting thing is, it would appear that we're in another one now. Don't get all so excited. Now you see, when Luther was doing what he was doing, to the people around him, he said, and I'm just reading another bit here, it says, Luther instigated not renewal or reform, but listen to this, but betrayal. Betrayal of the past and of the beloved institutions and belief systems so many had worked so hard to construct and defend. See, we don't believe that that goes on, but it does because people will die for structures, even if it's killing people. We don't want that, do we? we, we you know, I love the, the scripture where Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. If you believe in me, though you were dead, yet shall you live. Now, isn't that the sort of thing that we need to be declaring and preaching to people that we're not just talking about death in its natural form we're talking about the deaths that we live in because of our choices and because of uh, governments because of corruption because of just the evil that's in the world but he's saying look I can I can lift you out of that death if you'll only be willing to to know that I am the resurrection and the life so anyway I just wanted to say that so um I read something else this morning which I thought was interesting. It says this, good theology has two important tasks. Tasks, yeah. Uh, to keep all people free for God and to keep God free for all people. Shall I say that again? Because I think that's pretty good. But could put that in a, a song, Danny. That's the sort of lyric that would work good for you, wouldn't it? Sorry, I'm dry. It says, two important tasks as good theology. To keep all people free for God and to keep God free for all people. Now, I just feel that someone had to challenge certain beliefs 
uh, back in 1500s and I feel that we're challenging some beliefs now because some of them, uh, where have they come from? You just wonder, don't you? Now we're going to have a, a, a bit of look at a little bit more tonight. I don't want to take up too much time. I'll try and keep it short. But um, see, sometimes we can feel that people get tired of the quest. I, uh, I like, uh, there was an advert that used to be for Ramada Hotels in, um, in the States and it was Bart Simpson in the car with Homer and they're setting off on holiday and no sooner do they pull, pull out of the drive of the house, Bart Simpson saying, are we there yet? And Homer saying, no. And he goes, are we there yet? No. 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 And it literally the car is going through the mounds. It's going by the seaside. It's going everywhere. And all you hear for the entire time is, are we there yet? No. 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 Until he turns around, grabs hold of, of uh, Bart's neck and wants to kill him. Meanwhile, he hits the lamppost and, and uh, what's she called? Blue Air. What's the name? Marge says, we're there, Homer. And that, <laughs> lovely, it stayed with me. I think sometimes that's how some people feel when you're on a quest. Because it's almost, almost like I feel some of you are saying, oh, do we have to keep asking questions? When are you going to give us the answers and just sort it out and say, this is what we believe? And I'm going, mm-mm, yeah, good am. Because you know what happens, you see. Once you get answers, guess what happens to a conversation? It ends. Now, some of you are happy with that. I think the cat was quite happy with the ending of a conversation, wasn't it, in that, in that little clip? But you see, really, a quest never ends, and there's always something more. And yet, we are the type of people who tend to want uh, things really buttoned down. And, and, and sometimes, I mean, there's, there's a phrase that I was brought up with, and it was this. Um, I, uh, God said it, I believe it, and that settles it. Put your hand up if you heard that. As, uh, yeah, okay. But think about that. God says it, I believe it, that settles it. Where do you go with that? It's almost like... It's almost in big letters saying, shut up and listen. And that's the end of it. Shut up, listen, end. But actually, that's not what God is doing. He's talking. He's saying this is 2016. What we're doing now, it's different. What what are you doing to reach people with the good news of my gospel? And it's not like in Luther's day. And we can't play that game. We can't pretend that that's going to work. It's not because things are so different. But we are committed to pilgrimage. We're pioneers. We're not settlers. And uh, a very sort of difficult thing to say is that I, I believe that as I look around, there, that there's been a mess made of Christianity because certain emphases have been pursued and followed. And sometimes that's missed the very... Uh, very, what, what would you call it? The, the, um, the purity of how it really was. And so you get all these layers of stuff building up and building up, building up, a bit like the calcium on your taps, you know, and it gets really nasty. And after a while, you have to start chipping it off. Why? Because your tap doesn't look like it was meant to look. It's got this strange sort of Stuff on it that's horrible. Come on, you go into a house that you're buying, you know, that you're going to do up. What's the first thing you usually get in an old bathroom? It's that because there's been build up, and, and you know what I mean? And I think that that's happened to the Christian faith. And in this house, and, and I mean, you might not be interested in what I'm saying right now, but I'm going to tell you anyway, especially for those who are, who are um, visitors with us. We are actually very committed to getting back to what I call a dynamic faith not a static belief. Now, a static belief 
is a list of, like Anne said at the beginning, we don't have an I believe. Because, yeah, we can all have one of them. And it's, but I'll tell you what it does. It causes so much trouble because, like I said last week, it tells you who's in and who's out. And then you're trying to work out. Whereas if you've got a dynamic faith, it actually means that in any moment, God is opening up the, the, the horizon of what can be. Do you see that? So a dynamic faith, if, if it helps you think about Abraham, what sort of faith did he have? Was it sort of a static belief that said, I'll tell you what, I'm in the air of the Chaldees. God says, come on, get up. I'm going to show you something absolutely fantastic. He says, nah, I'll just stay here. You, you know, show me what you like here. Because his static belief was, well, I'm in air. It's pretty good here. So I'm just going to stop. Or was he going to say, I'll tell you what, I'm, I'm up for an adventure. And I think sometimes when we use phrases like, well, does, do this, does this stuff really matter? It really matters because we're actually restricting ourselves by staying in, in settler land. And anybody who's read the, um, the, the, the wonderful uh, write-up that um, Brennan Manning did about pioneers and settlers, it's sort of a, a, a cowboy idea. You know, where you've got the little town and you've got your town hall, you've got the mayor's house, you've got your ice cream parlour and all of that. We're not actually into that because we were never meant to stop. We were meant to be exploring, going out and conquering worlds. Remember that on telly and conquered worlds? Do you remember? I do. Anyway, okay. So let me just tell you this. The word Christian is only mentioned three times in the Bible. Now, that's amazing. Don't you find that just amazing? Three times. And we've, our, our faith is called Christianity, and it's mentioned three times. I, I just find that amazing. Now, listen to me. Disciple, though, is mentioned 263 times. So let me ask you a question. What's more important, being a labelled Christian or being a disciple... Ooh, now, what does that mean? I'm not even sure what that means because it means that I'm learning. It means I'm always teachable. I've never actually arrived. Now, let me tell you what, uh, what somebody says. It, it, uh, it says this. Christians are a group of people who have entered a certain sedentary membership or arrived at a status validated by some group or institution. While disciples are learners or unlearners. That's interesting, isn't it? who have started on a rigorous and unending journey or quest in relation to Jesus Christ. Now, that's very different, isn't it? Woo, which do you want? I'll tell you which is the easiest. <laughs> Just label yourself and then basically follow a bunch of rules and say, this is what I am. And, you know, that's the easy one. But when we're on this vigorous quest, it means, heck, the sky's the limit. Where's this going to take us? And it's absolutely amazing. So... This is what I want to cover for a few minutes, hopefully, is this. We try to simplify a very complex and often very paradoxical subject. Shall I say that again? We try to simplify a very complex and often very paradoxical subject. And it's about what makes a person a disciple of Jesus. Now, you know, we're going to talk about it some more. Um, but like I said, we don't like ambiguity. We like things buttoned down. And especially, right, if in our psyche we've been told and most of us have since our childhood that in the Christian belief that there's this big issue of heaven and hell at the end if that's really what the the sort of main element of it all is 
when all said and done, we want to make sure we're doing whatever it is we need to do to not go to that horrible hot place. Now, we have got a total different understanding of, 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 of hell, and we're not going to teach on that tonight, but I'm trying to use, use that as an example. If that's in your head, isn't the thing you're going to do with all your heart, try and figure out what is it that I'm going to have to do to miss that? I, I would think so. Um, I was thinking, you know, sadly, um, about the funeral of, of Nonny. How many people came to that funeral, and all of a sudden, because they suddenly faced... With, with death in that horrible situation of a, a, a young girl uh, suddenly thinking, what, 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 what if? What, what am I going to do? And I wondered how many maybes might go to church today because they suddenly something's freaked them out a bit and they think, oh, because they need answers. What, what does this mean? And we tend to want meaning. We have to figure it all out. What is it about? You know, we look at the end of a life and we, we want to know what's going on. What's happening now, don't we? Don't you? Oh, I do. I want to know. Now, that's why it's so important that we are able to explain what our faith means and what we believe God was achieving for us through Christ's death and resurrection. So it's no good saying, I don't know. We better know because that's the answer to, to death. Now, we can simplify it and just say, actually, Christ's death because I died with him, it means that death is conquered for me forever. Now, I might go into the grave, but death is not going to hold me any more than it held Jesus. That's just simplifying the situation. But you see, how we get to that place of understanding, which we have usually called salvation, is a different matter. So for a very long time, and it's still very much used in uh, evangelical circles, is, is, are you saved, right? And on Wednesday night, we were talking about if we're not careful, we've found that our salvation understanding is more from the Apostle Paul and uh, the, the apostles who wrote than it was actually Jesus. And you think to yourself, heck, if Jesus was the one who was going to die and give his life and be resurrected in order that we might have whatever is this salvation, surely we should look at him to find out what it all means and how it all, let's call it the mechanics of it. But you know what's unbelievable? Really, Jesus is not very clear on the subject at all. Or he is very clear, but it's not what we want to hear. Now that's a different matter, isn't it? So you could say, right, well, let's get back to basics. Let's find out what Jesus said about the subject. Surely that'll simplify things, but it doesn't. So, um, we might be following or, or, or might have followed an emphasis that didn't actually come from Jesus himself. So what I want to do is just for a few minutes, look at some of the words that Jesus spoke, because it's quite interesting. Um, when you start to Google, and it's fun, Google, just put stuff in, put really ridiculous questions in and see what comes up. Now, after saying that, you're going to get some ridiculous answers as well, but it's just have a look. It's great fun. I spend hours just putting crazy, you know, things in. But, you know, you get some stuff. But what's very interesting is one of the um, uh, main uh, items that comes up when it talks about what Jesus has to say about um, um, salvation. Let's just, for simplicity, call it that. Uh, is the story of Matthew 25, which is the story of the sheep and the goats. 
And basically, Jesus is talking about this story of the separate. Now, we're not going to go into that story tonight, but that's one that is used, which seems to suggest, if you read it carefully, that what Jesus is actually talking about is good works. Because in the one about the sheep and the goats, he's basically saying, sheep, look after people. They're kind to each other in so much as you did it unto these poor people, you've done it unto me. So you could actually say that what Jesus is saying, salvation, eternal life comes through being kind to poor people. Do you see? Because it's very clear. He says nothing in that about faith. He talks nothing about in that about belief in himself, in Jesus. It's just in so much as you've been kind to them, you've done it to me, therefore you have eternal life. You'll, You'll inherit eternal life. Similarly, there's Luke 16, the rich man and Lazarus, which again, it's the rich man uh, didn't look after the poor man. So the poor man ended up in heaven. Hang on a minute. So because you were poor, you ended up in heaven. This is what Jesus is sort of saying. And we know that's not really what he's saying, but I'm talking about in, in literally what he's saying. And so he's saying the rich man, because he didn't look after the poor, so he didn't do good works. He ended up in a nasty place. And Lazarus ended up in another place. So you're thinking, right, this is Jesus. He's talking here. This is what he's saying. And he's talking about works, good works. He's not talking about faith in himself. He's not talking about um, uh, uh, believing on anything that he's going to do or accepting him, him into your heart. Am I making... I've got something coming out of my neck. Oh, it's all right. It's there. <laughs> I wondered what it was for a minute. Okay. Um, Okay. Then we have things like John 3, 1, 5, story of Nicodemus. And I'm just being very, very quick because I just want to give you the rough ideas. So he says to Nicodemus, this, this is a guy who goes to him and says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And he says, listen to this. Unless one is born of water and of of the spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. Marvel not, you must be born again. So that's it. He doesn't say how. He doesn't say what it means. He doesn't say what Jesus is going to do to make that happen. Are you following me? It just says you must be born again. John 6, 44, he says, No one can come to me unless the Father draws him. There's another predestination verse, Dave, that'll interest you. Because that, you see, nobody can come to me unless God draws him. Oh, so hang on a minute. It's not to do with you. Joel, unless God draws you, you're screwed. All right? Just, just understand. That's what Jesus has just said. Unless the Father draws you, you can't come. We've already had four different ways, right, of, of getting this eternal life or whatever. Right, next. Mark 16. Oh, we've got to believe in me. Woo. Got to believe in me. He who believes in me and is baptized will be saved. Well, well, okay. That's... But then you could say, believe what? All right, but we're not going to go there. Believe what? But just he believes in me and is baptized will be saved. To the thief, though, on the cross in Luke 23, he says, today you will be with me in paradise. Now, hang on a minute. He believed in him, but could the thief get baptized? Oh, so we've got a person who believes, but isn't baptized. So that means, does that count? Or if he didn't get baptized, are you following what I'm saying? Did it count? All right, this is different then again. Oh, he says to this woman who uh, came for healing, or oh, for healing, she wanted a body made better. Nothing, nothing about being eternal life in that sense. She just wanted her old body. I've got another one here. 
This is weird. <laughs> Write a song about hankies now. This is going to have me tissue, tissues. Um, and he says to her, your faith, not as healed you, although healed and saved can be a very similar word. He says, your faith has saved you. Brilliant. Okay. So that's that. Then he says, I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he would dead, he actually live again, believe in me. But he doesn't say what, uh, what to believe. Then he's in Luke 19. He's talking about, well, he's talking to Zacchaeus. And he says, give back all you have treat, cheated and you will, sorry, yeah, you will inherit eternal life. Hang on. So now it's not about believing anything. It's not about being baptized, but it's now he's got to give back all his cheated, uh, money he's cheated. I hope you're getting with me here. This is Jesus talking. And we are supposed to be Jesus followers. Now, uh, can you see why I'm doing this? This is what we're talking about here, right? God so loved the world. Now, I like this one. I have said this parrot fashion all my life, right? This is one of the first verses I ever learned as a child. But I've never seen it like this before. Listen, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish. Now, Jenny, you're an English person. Does the him refer to God or the Son? See? Whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Now, I'm not trying to be difficult, but you could say there, we've got a, are we believing in the Son that he sent? Or are we believing in God who sent him? I mean, so we've got all these these very difficult things. What time is it? Oh, I'm running out of time. And so uh, the next one. Uh, only those who do the will of the Father will inherit eternal life. Oh, heck. Now, how do we figure out what that is? I, I, I'm not trying to be difficult. I'm just trying to you know, show you this issue. Then another one. Those who stand firm to the end will be saved. Oh, heck. Stand firm. That could mean all sorts of things, couldn't it? Now, I was reading again something else. Uh, we saw this uh, about you must be born again. I thought, oh, well, I'll pursue that. And it came, it came up saying, big letters, you must be born again. Um, Jesus lovingly made this transformation process very simple. So simple that even those who are retarded or not educated can understand. There are several steps to becoming born again, though, listed below. This went on for five pages. Five pages. And I'm not kidding you. I'm thinking, simple? I don't think so. Well, I couldn't be bothered to read it. I'm thinking, oh, you know. So listen to this. Rob Bell, I've pinched this from Rob Bell and it's lovely. He puts it this way. So what is it that saves you? Is it what you say? Is it who you are? what you do, or what you're going to do, or who your friends are. Because remember, I missed one out. Do you remember the ones who uh, put the lad through the roof? Jesus says, it's not his faith, it's because of them. Ah! Are you aware that you might be saved, not because of anything that you've done, but it might be your friend? I think that's fantastic. I would like to be one of those who God looks at me and even is willing to say that I'm saved because of someone who cared enough about me. 
Now, that's a bit into the friendship thing of last week, isn't it? It's hard when we talk like this because it's like saying, oh no, you can only be saved if you do this yourself. But it's actually saying there, no, it was their faith that saved. Isn't it gorgeous? Oh, I love it. Sorry for getting so excited. So hang on. Uh, that was the bit one I missed out. So it was what you say, who you are, what you do, what you're going to do, or who your friends are, or who you're married to. I missed that one out as well, but never mind. Uh, whether you give birth to children, I missed that one out as well. Or is it what, your, what questions you asked, or is it what questions, what questions you're asked, or what questions you ask, or whether you do what you're told, or what group you were born into? Because, of course, the Jews thought that they were saved because they were born into, into the, the, the Jewish race. So we've got all this stuff now. Somebody will say, well, can't we just simply just believe? Let's make it really simple. But then, like I said a few minutes ago, believe what? It's all good because somebody will say, well, let's believe this. And then believe that. Believe the other. And then it, somebody might say, well, and I've already mentioned it tonight, and I didn't know he was going to say it. It's like, believe in Jesus. Then you say, which Jesus? Because I'll tell you what, everybody's got a different idea, just as we've got a different idea about the character and nature of God. And we can turn around and say, hang on a minute, that's not, that's not the God that I recognize. That's not the God that I, I feel is represented in Jesus. So, do we get why we can't have a one-size-fits-all experience? And that's why we're in what you would call... Uh, another reformation because we're recognizing that this is bigger than something that one size fits all. See, for instance, the rich young ruler who was told to go and sell everything he had, which I think I missed that one as well, didn't I? Sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm not doing very well, but it's coming back to me. The rich young ruler, Jesus says, just go and sell, sell everything you had. Now, he went away sorrowing because he wouldn't do it. But listen, if that was the word to him to do that, and that was going to give him eternal life. And we're not talking descriptively about what eternal life is tonight. I'm just using the words that the, the Bible said. If that's what, what Jesus told him, would he get what he asked for? The answer is yes. Now, here's the thing. If, I'll use Joel again, so I'm picking on him rather than anybody else. If, if, if he goes and sells everything he has, but that is not the issue in his life, it ain't going to work for him. Now, here's the, the, the little message I want to get over to you all tonight. What is it that, that God is saying to you in your life, which will take you to your salvation moment, your understanding and your entry into the eternal life that God wants you to have in this moment here and now? Because some of you are trying to say, oh, well, so-and-so did this. Well, if I do that, I'll be okay. Well, in actual fact, it's not the same. And that's why sometimes people who have said the sinner's prayer still seem to be struggling. Because in fact, it was just words. What they need to do is be obedient to what that wonderful unction of the friend, of the friend who made the covenant with you forever, everlasting, is speaking into your hearts. And if you'd only do that, do you know what? You can just stand so wonderfully confident. I just did what, what, what Jesus asked me to do. And then we say, well, what was it? And we could say, 
Oh, that's weird. It doesn't matter. Do you see? It doesn't matter. Now, we all need salvation moments. We all need salvation moments. Something like when the penny drops. And you know that you know that you know that you know something's just gone. And it's amazing. Yeah? Salvation moments. But some of us have had one in our lifetime. And it was the day that, I mean, I can say it was the, the 6th of October 1965 for me. And I think, well, what on earth happened that day? I haven't a clue. But I have a little piece of paper that says that that's when it happened to me. I'll tell you what, I have had better experiences than that. Yes, I put my name on a piece of paper to say I accept Jesus. But I'll tell you, since that day, the things that, that Jesus, my friend, has spoken into my heart and said, look, do this, do this, do this. And that salvation moment bursts. Now, me and Anth are so different, you know. That's why you can't have a, a one-size-fits-all. I mean, we can read the same verse of something and the angle that he will take takes him where, where are men from? Is it Mars? Yeah, it is, isn't it? Yeah. I was going to send him to Venus just then, but I don't think that's a good idea. He definitely goes to Mars, and I definitely go to Venus. You wouldn't believe how different we are. And I'll say, but I've always believed that. And he says, how come? That's, that's stupid. We've lived in the same house for 40 years. How is it possible that we are so, like, on a different planet? But you see, what I like about that is that if God has to get me to understand everything that he gets before I can have a salvation moment, then I'm in trouble. And that's why the grace of God is so absolutely amazing. What's he showing you? I believe that there's a, there is a simplicity that helps us with the complexity of it all. <laughs> and it's this. Seek you'll find. Knock, the door's going to open. Ask, and you're going to receive. And that's as simple as the doorway to the complexity. But why is it complex? Because you're complex human beings. Blooming heck, aren't we so complicated? We are. But God knows that, and it's absolutely amazing. So, just one little bit. It's 8.04. Can I just have five more minutes just to finish this off? In trying to simplify and make one size fits all, we actually restrict people's entry into the kingdom. Because unless we feel that they've done it or received something in a way that we understand and go, mm, yeah, that's it, we then struggle rather than saying, look, this is, this is God's. This is God's issue. This is his issue. He, he was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. If that is his understanding of what is required, can he not sort the rest out? I believe he can. Let me just, bringing it to a close, just look at this. There are some of the words that Jesus uh, said, which I think do help me if I want to try and pin things down a little bit in the context of the covenant that we talked about uh, last week. Oh, and can I just say one other thing here? Who knows the phrase, blood is thicker than water? Yeah? 
Or is it an old one? Is it an old Victorian thing? No, we know it. Okay. What does it mean? Family's more than important than friends. Right, can I help you with it? Do you know that that has been distorted and adulterated? Because actually, what the phrase is, is blood is thicker than milk. Now think about it. What was water meant to represent? Water was friends, right? Blood was family. Yeah, is that right? But what it really is talking about is blood is thicker than milk because the blood of the covenant was stronger than the milk you drank as children from your mother's breasts. So we say family friendship is stronger than friends, but actually God's saying, no, covenant is stronger than family. And how many of us, be honest, how many of us say, oh yeah, but it's my family. It's my family. Blood is, blood is thicker than water. It's my family. I'm sticking up for them. Even when you know that they're not necessarily doing what is right. Oh, well, I'm sticking, you know, they're my family. Don't do it. The blood of covenant is, is stronger than family. And some of us hate that. And I mean, I've had to learn to be more family orientated in my life. But I'll tell you what, I love what that means. Because it's actually saying my friends in covenant can have a greater relationship with me than my family. And that's why Jesus and God the Father and the Holy Spirit can have great relationship with you because you are blood covenant um, children or friends, whatever word you want to use. Therefore, the, the bond that's between you is unbelievable. So you didn't have to be born as in fully family members of God's family in the sense that you literally were born in heaven and you were part of that whole angelic or whatever. He's saying, no, the covenant that I have made is what makes this absolutely binding and amazing. Isn't that great? Right, finally. Oh, I'm sorry. Just give me a few more minutes. Right. This is what I just wanted to look at. Luke 4, 16. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. And there uh, was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, he hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord, and he closed the book. Now I think that puts into a very brief little passage what the covenant of blood that was made for you is about in this day and age in your lifetime. That covenant is for this. It's for broken hearts to be healed. It's for recovery of sight for the blind. Now, that's not necessarily physical. It means that you can just be as blind as a bat with things that you need to understand. Uh, liberty for the captive, those that are bruised. But this is the thing, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he sat down. Now, very quickly, that is a repeat of something that was prophesied in Isaiah 61. And it's exactly the same, except one difference. 
And it is the very last line. After it says to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, and I thought it was great. We were praying favor over Phil and Dave today. I thought, come on, year of the Lord's favor. Then after that, it says, and the day of vengeance of our God. Now, I love the fact that when Jesus came to the end of proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, he says, he shut the book. He wasn't going to the, to the day of uh, God's vengeance. Who was he talking about? Talking about himself. And he says, this day, it's fulfilled in your ears. Now, very quickly, what was the year of the Lord's favor? Simplest way to explain it is there was a, a, a ceremony uh, that was held. It was in the 50th year of uh, anybody's life, and it was called Jubilee. Now, Jubilee, if you look at it in Scripture, is the closest thing to the understanding of the covenant that, that God has made with you. And basically, your debts were cancelled, slaves were set free, land was returned to its original owners. Because remember, in life, it all got a bit messy and people got in trouble. And so what did they do? They sold off stuff that really was their livelihood. And then in the end, they became very poor. And they would struggle on until this day of jubilee. And they could start again. They got it all back. Oh, isn't that grace? Isn't it stunning? That's the year of the Lord's favor. Now, a year in the context, it's not that we have to wait for every 50 years, but the covenant makes that the norm a reality all the time. Now, you might be thinking, oh, I just can't get my head around that. I'll tell you what, we're going to try. We're going to try. This is the covenant message, right? It meant liberation and provision. How fantastic. Now, I believe that that is saying far more than you're forgiven from your sin and there's eternal life after death. Isn't that a bigger bonus, right? It was covenant blessing. So, here's the thing. What's interesting that he misses off this day of vengeance? Why? Now, what I find interesting is that most people, and we come back to the whole issue of mainstream Christianity, and is this. Most people feel if that slaves are going to be set free, then in order for slaves to be liberated, somebody else has got to get it. Think about it. What happens in war of any sort, when you're releasing anybody from an oppression, usually the, the enemy ends up paying and, and there's a fight, isn't there? So there's never a freedom without enemy getting it. Would you agree? Think about it in the context of even the Christian message. Jesus is coming again and he's going to take all those who believe him up in the sky on a big cloud and we're going to heaven. But guess what? All those who don't believe are going to get it. There's always got to be the other side to the coin. And yet Jesus closed the book and he says, this is the year of God's favor, no vengeance. Oh, but we don't like that. And the story goes on to say, hang on a minute, we are Jews. We're in Nazareth. We're your ki kin and kindred. We're not sharing you with anybody. You're here for us. If you're Messiah, you're here for us, not for them. And if you follow the story, he even talks about two people from the Old Testament. He mentions Naaman the Syrian and the uh, woman from, I think it was Zarephath or whatever, who weren't Jewish. Woo! I 
I love stuff like that. It's like, oh, he's getting it in there. He's saying, look, this is New Testament. I'm talking about old and I can quote the old. He says, but no vengeance. Inclusivity. We're having. So he went from it being national to universal. Isn't that just absolutely amazing? So here's the, th- the, the thing. They wanted to kill him because of that. And sometimes they'll want to kill us because we're so inclusive. Because we say, no, nope, no vengeance. Year of God's favor. This is the year of the Lord's favor. I'm not talking about 2016. I'm talking about in general. This is the year of God's favor. Um, certain attitudes are incompatible with the spirit of jubilee or the spirit of the new covenant that we have been sealed with Christ's blood. So this is just what I want to end with this. There's two proclamations. You remember how we've talked about in the, the scriptures as a thread and we start in the beginning, there's two trees, there's two suns, there's, there's two women, there's two mountains, there's uh, all sorts of pictures in twos. And in this scripture in Isaiah, we've got two proclamations. One is a favour, the other is a vengeance, right? So like we've always said, which one are you going to look at? Which lens are you going to look? Are you going to follow the year of the Lord's favour or are you going to look at the one of vengeance? Because I'll tell you what, if you want to, you can. But Jesus said, no vengeance. We're not going to have that. And Jesus is the exact representation of God the Father. and He stops at favour. And that doesn't just come round every 50 years, but it's a constant for those who are willing to trust. So he said, I'll make a new covenant. It'll not be like the old. Nothing like it. Your sins and unrighteous acts I will remember no more. I will put my law in their hearts. I will be their God. They will be my people. And that's the end of it. Simple as that. That's the end of it. That's the covenant. No vengeance. But people say, Ah, but the day of vengeance is coming, though. The day of vengeance is coming. And all I'm going to say, is it? Is it? Now, we can debate that another time, but just think about it. I believe that the proclamation we need to be hearing for our world is the one that it's the year of the Lord's favour. And I rest my case. That's awesome. All right, so how do we respond? Well, what's fascinating is Jesus in his very first kind of big public sermon called the Sermon on the Mount was very clear. Matthew 6 verse 9, he said, okay, in view of all that, this then is how you should pray. Okay, so Jesus himself said, this then is how you should pray. Our Father, who art in heaven... Hallowed be your name. Now, that was inflammatory because if you were a Jew, you wouldn't even write the name God. You didn't write the name God. You were so concerned that vengeance would come on you because you had not held God's name in proper esteem that you would only write two letters of the word. So you never find Jesus saying, if only you'll pray to God... You find him totally changing things and says, so this is how you should pray. It's a whole new way of being. This is how you should pray. You have a father. 
The one who you see as God, the judge of vengeance, has actually become a father through grace and through peace. And Jesus was saying, you can actually say, our father, right? That's, that's the ownership. He's our father. He's my father, who may be in heaven, but he said, but you are to pray, that kingdom come here. That will, which will? The will that's in a father's heart. Now, if you had a bad father, I apologize, but imagine the father you would have liked to have had. The will in a father, that will, the will of a father's heart, let that be done. Okay? Our father in heaven. And he put in the middle, hallowed be your name. Now, that's a very old English word, which, which many of us kids growing up thought it was our Lord is your name, didn't we? Be honest, because hallowed made no sense. Hallowed means the highest respect and reverence. Now, this was blasphemy. Jesus said the highest respect and reverence is to go to the Father's name. Not Jehovah's name, not God's name, the Father's name. Why? Because everything he's ever wanted to do was to be a father. So here's the key. Chris rightly pointed out all those ways that Jesus said you can come in. So you say, well, it's confusing then. What am I supposed to do? Well, you should pray. How should you pray? Jesus said this then is how you should pray. Acknowledge you have a father in heaven who wants to bring his kingdom and his will right into the center of your life because now it's not based on somebody there and someone here. It's based on a relationship, a together. Us and them, a father. So I love the prayer that Martin Luther was told to pray by his by his, his, um, his abbot in the monastery that he served. He said, Martin, just pray this, okay? I am yours. Save me. If you want to pray for you, that's a good prayer. If you want to pray what Jesus said, you pray, Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. I believe what really happens when we see him as Father, the change comes, the vengeance goes, and we begin to realize we've become a people of favor. You are a person of favor tonight. You're just living below your privilege. So how about you say tonight, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done here on earth in my life, just like it is in heaven. I am yours. Save me. Just bow your heads one moment. You might just want to say that. What's value on what that prayer's about? So I believe as our hearts open to the fatherhood of God, then we recognize who he has already become to us and for us. And like Chris says, we have a salvation moment, the moment of realization that actually the book has been closed on vengeance for me. Because the last word was the day of the favor, the year of favor. And on the cross, the last word was, it is finished. We have been put in a good place because of the grace of God. And I want you to receive it. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come here tonight. Your will be done in me tonight. Here I am. Save me. 
So we bless you. I thought it was a great, great word again tonight. I thought so important in our journey. And uh, the book is closed. Live there. All right, we'll see you. Thanks for listening. You might not be aware that The Rock is funded completely through donations from people like yourself. So if you feel like you're part of our community, it would be great if you could make a contribution by visiting our website at www.rockofyork.co.uk and just click on the donate button for more information. Thanks again. Thanks again.